Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. When this letter was written, this would have been like a, a, you know, a bucket of cold water just thrown onto a dude, onto a guy. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Honor, honor my wife? Honor a woman? Well, we don't do that here. We don't do that within our cultural context. He was like, I don't care. I don't care. If you're a Christian, you will do this. Why? Because women are deserving of honor as well. Are you a husband struggling to understand your role in your marriage? Well, in today's message, Pastor James talks about how as men, we're called to honor and love our wives as Christ loved the church. That means putting their needs above our own and serving them with humility and sacrifice. Honor means treating our wives with respect, with kindness and compassion. It means listening to their needs and supporting them in their goals and dreams. It means being faithful and committed to them, even in challenges. Now here's Pastor James in the book of 1 Peter chapter 3 with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. When you stand before the Lord, the, the Lord will hold your husband accountable for how he led you and your family. There are some things he won't hold you accountable for that you are trying to make happen in your family. You're trying to lead. No, that's his job. And God will hold him accountable for that. I don't know how all that plays out, but I do know there will be a day where I stand before Jesus and he says, tell me about your family. How did you lead your wife? How did you lead your kids? Well, I, you know, I'm kind of timid. So you really need to ask Nelly that question. You know, I, like, no, he's like, no, no, no. You're the one that I put as head of your, of your family. That's a sobering wake-up call for us guys. You got to get with it. You got to get with it. The Lord has placed a tremendous calling on your life. If you're married, you're the leader. Be a leader. Get with it. You will answer to that one day. Wives, you will have your own things you will have to answer to, for sure. But when it comes to leading, this spiritual leadership of, your, of the family and all that good stuff, hopefully, you have a husband that you can align yourself under and just say, you know what, I just trust the Lord. I trust the Lord that you're hearing from him, and I'm going to follow, and I'm going to follow. Now, you may be thinking, like, well, what if my husband doesn't know the Lord? You submit to your husband. You still submit. I mean, that's, there's, no, there's no out within this text. Because Peter knows who he's talking to, and he knows he's talking to individuals, and right now, specifically wives, who may have gotten saved, but yet their husbands haven't gotten saved. Well, what about us? We don't have to submit, right? And he's like, no, you actually do. You actually do need to submit. You don't understand my husband. Peter's like, I know. I probably don't. I probably don't understand your boss either, but you still got to submit to him. I probably don't totally understand your government either, but you still need to submit to them. He's like, I don't need to know both sides of the story. All I need to know is if you're a believer, this is what you must do. As a representative of Jesus Christ, this is what he's called us to do. And I know these are difficult things. I know, unfortunately, we have, you know, there's marriage stories where 
this is a challenging thing. But and please hear me out, because I referenced this last week as well. If there's like violence or abuse in the house, seek safety. Okay? There's this nonsensical thing I've heard a pastor say before, like, no, you need to stay in that home. That's dumb. That's not smart. If there's physical abuse, you seek safety. But I have to submit, you need to, you, well, you need to stay alive. And you need to take care of your kids if there's abuse going on. And then, you know what? If, and you, the Lord knows, okay? But I would never encourage anybody who is, who is caught up in an abusive situation to stay there and just to keep your mouth shut, as I've heard from other pastors before. That's ridiculous. So we're not talking about that. So, but I do want to add that little caveat. If that's the case, then you seek safety. For you, for your kids, whatever, seek safety. But if your story's not one of abuse, he's just like, my husband's just not interested in Christianity. Submit. Submit to him. Look at it. He goes, you know, accept the authority of your husband's. It says, then even if some refuse to obey the good news or the gospel or the word, your godly lives will speak to them, oh, here's the key, without words. Without words. Let me talk to your wives for a second. You, you don't have to nag your husband concerning the gospel. Actually, that's probably doing more damage than anything. Right? You don't have to say anything. You don't need to preach sermons to him. If you've got a husband who's not a Christ follower, you don't have to preach any sermons to him. You don't need to do that. You don't need to turn the radio station onto the Christian station, you know, in his car. So, he, you know, sneaky style or whatever. You don't need to do that. All you need to do is just live your life as unto the Lord. As unto the Lord. George Mueller used this illustration once he was talking about there, there was an individual, a man who was pretty domineering in his family, and he was at the bar or the pub, because he's, you know, England. Uh, he was at the pub one day, and he was bragging to his friends, and his wife is a Christian, and he was bragging to his friends. He's like, look, my wife will do anything and everything I tell her to do. Not ask, tell her. He's like, I bet we can all leave here right now, go to my house, and I will tell her to make us a meal, and she will do it. You know, they're all, you know, drinking and all that good stuff. And they're like, yeah, right, you know, all that. And so they go. And they go to his house. And it's, it's late in the evening and all that good stuff. And, and he comes in there and he, and he demands of her, make us a meal. And she does it. And she makes him the best meal. Just in silence. And she comes and she serves all of them. And his friends are absolutely disgusted with him. They're like, how dare you? You have such a good woman. How dare you take advantage of her like this? How dare you abuse her like this? And they left. And that stung this man. Eventually down the road, George Mueller tells us that this guy ends up getting saved because of his wife's quiet witness. He just couldn't get past it. And what his friends had told him and just everything that she had just modeled in her proclamation was, I was going to make the best meal I could possibly make him whenever. I was going to serve him in the best way that I could possibly serve him whenever. If he asked me to do something, I was going to do it and I was going to give it my best. She's like, I, because I represent the Lord Jesus. She said, I know my husband's not saved. 
but he will see Jesus through me. And her husband ended up getting saved. And she never preached the word to him. She never, you know, snuck a little gospel track in his lunchbox or anything like that. She didn't do anything like that. She just actually, get this, lived like a Christian. She just lived like one. And that won her husband over. And there are hundreds and hundreds of stories just like that one. And Peter's just, he's expressing this to, the, to these women. He's like, look, he's like, just you live a godly life. And he's going to illustrate this by kind of like what to focus in on and what not to focus in on. He says, they're going to be won over by observing your pure and reverent lives, your devotion to God. It will win them over. And I know that there are some marriages where, you know, individuals are still waiting for that to happen for them. And I would just say, just hold on, just hold on. And you just keep representing the Lord Jesus. We serve a God who sees. We serve a God who knows. And he understands if you might be in a difficult marriage situation, he knows that. He's aware of that. He's, he loves you. But he also loves your spouse. Verse 3 says, don't be concerned about the outward beauty of fancy hairstyles, expensive jewelry, or beautiful clothes. All right, now pause there. Don't be concerned about, okay, because there's, there's friends of ours who take this verse and they apply it to an extreme level, meaning don't fix your hair, don't wear nice clothes, don't wear jewelry. That's not what the word says. It's not what it says. It says don't make that the thing about you. Don't focus so much on the external beauty. He doesn't say, you know, if you want to wear makeup, wear makeup. If you want to wear jewelry, wear jewelry. If you want to get your hair did, or whatever you say now, then go for it, right? Like, I mean, why not? That doesn't mean you're an idolater. It doesn't mean you have, you know, all these, like, you care more about the outside. That's what people are going to throw at you. Unfortunately for you ladies, you get a lot of this, which is just sad. Because if you show up and if you're like, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to show up and I'm going to dress nice, you know, to this event or to this or church function. And you have people looking down their nose at you like, oh, well, they obviously care more about the external than the internal. And you're like, can you be quiet? Can you be quiet, please? Keep that to yourself. Your judgmental mindset, please keep it to yourself because you know nobody's business. So you want to wear makeup? Wear makeup. You want to fix your hair? Do it. Go for it. But don't let that be the whole thing. Don't let that be the main thing. And that was the issue back then, was they were trying to make it, you know, an external showing of like, of, of you know, their beauty and focusing in on that and all the good stuff. But he, he says here, verse four, he says, you should clothe yourselves instead with beauty that comes from within. The unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which, what, is precious to God. And then he illustrates this point in verse 5. He says, this is how the holy women of old made themselves beautiful. They put their trust in God and accepted the authority of their husbands. Like, he's like, you don't, and he's appealing to the ladies back then. He's like, you don't understand what what really makes you attractive. The external is great. That's fine. It doesn't last forever. But what does last forever? This inward beauty. And actually, the inward beauty continues to grow 
and grow and grow. Gravity has no effect on your inward beauty at all, right? The sun's rays have no effect of that at all. In fact, your inward beauty continued to grow, and the more that it grows, the more it it, it shines out, so to speak. And that's, that's an attractive quality as somebody who is devoted to God, devoted to God. He's like, you guys got this backwards a little bit. You think you're going to like impress them by your external beauty. He's like, no, no, no. You're going to impress them. You'll win them over by your internal beauty. So, you know, yeah, wear the makeup, do all that stuff. But you know what? Make the priority of your life, your relationship with God, your relationship with God. And context wise, he's still using that within that, you know, winning your husbands over to the Lord. Like, well, if I just dress up, then he'll notice me more. And then, you know, somehow the Lord will use that to save him. Probably not. But the more you, the more you pursue Jesus in your personal life, what Peter is saying is like, that's probably what's going to win your husband over. And he uses Sarah as an example. Verse six, he says, Sarah obeyed her husband, who was Abraham, her husband, Abraham, and called him her master. Husbands, don't underline that. You're like, dang, hey, I got a verse to share with you. No, don't, you can't do that. Lord is another translation, right? He goes on to say, you're her daughters when you do what is right without fear of what your husbands might do. He's like, just align yourself underneath your husbands. Trust in the Lord that they are hearing from God. Because, I mean, my goodness, look at the example of Abraham and Sarah. Abraham's like, I heard from God. He wants us to move. She's like, What? I don't actually know what her response was, but we do have history of Sarah and some of her responses, and I think that probably would be accurate. Well, you want us to move from our hometown, where are we moving? I don't know. You don't know. I don't know. He just told me to go. And when I got there, we would know. She's like, I don't think so. No, I don't think so. What have you been drinking? Like Abraham, or Abram at that time, like, what is going on? Like, no, but you, what, you know what she did? She aligned herself underneath his leadership and headship, and she went on the journey with him. And then they get to the promised land. And then they want kids desperately, but they can't have kids. But God shows up, and he's like, you're going to have a kid. And Sarah laughs. She laughs not at Abraham. She laughs at God. By way of his messengers coming to Abraham's lane, like, no, no, yeah, this time next year, she's going to have a kid. And she's like eavesdropping, right, from inside the tent or whatever. And then she starts laughing, and they're like, why is she laughing? Why is she laughing? And throughout the whole journey, though, this beautiful Sarah who would align herself under the headship of Abraham, and not always in the, the brightest moments, there was a few times where he's like, she's my, she's my sister. Please don't kill me. She's my sister. And she's like, dude. I'm like, what? He did that. But she still was, and it jeopardized her life. But she still was submissive to Abraham because I think at the heart of Sarah, who is a beautiful woman, and what makes her beautiful? Well, number one, she probably was physically attractive because you had rulers who were like, that lady looks nice. And she was older too, right? They're like, she looks good because that's why they wanted to take her. But she was beautiful on the inside through her devotion to God and her just following Abraham. And what a beautiful example, what an amazing example she is. And that's all Peter's saying. He's like, just think about Sarah. 
She followed that guy. And, and Abraham's the hero, right? But he didn't always make the right decisions. But she still stuck with him. And he's like, that's your, that's your model. That's your example. Will he always get it right? He probably, won't always, he probably won't get it right. But that's between him and the Lord. He will have to deal with that and answer to God concerning that. You get to just, hey, yeah, where are we going, Abraham? Let's go. Let's go. And Abraham did have to answer to some of those things because God was going to hold him accountable for some of those actions. So that's like for the wives. Paul goes into other details in Ephesians chapter 5, which kind of parallels this in, in a beautiful way. I would encourage you to read Ephesians chapter 5. It's one of the coolest chapters for sure concerning marriage and all that good stuff. But Peter lays this out for, for, for the ladies. He's like, look, submit to your husband, align yourself underneath his authority, his leadership, and all that good stuff. Submit to your husbands. And even if he's not a believer, you submit to your husbands, okay? And and really what you could insert there, I'm not adding anything to the word at all, but what in other passages would be part of that would be as unto the Lord kind of a thing. Last little thing on for you wives, what I would want you to, what you can underline and highlight is submit to your husband, your husband, Okay, so you don't have to submit to all husbands. You submit to your husband, right? Because even in the, the Western world, we, we kind of, there was a weird time where dudes thought that they could just boss any lady around. You're, supposed to, you're a woman, you're supposed to submit. That's garbage, right? Like that's not what we're talking about. And even in the corporate submission thing, that's not what that's talking about. You just have like an ego problem and you're trying to domineer on people, So ladies, if you have a husband, you align yourself underneath your husband, your husband, okay? Now for the guys, verse seven, in the same way, okay? So continue on with this idea of thought process of submission and all that good stuff. In the same way, you husbands must give honor to your wives. I... It's, this is hard for us to process as Westerners living in 2022. 20, is that what we're still in? Is it that still the year? Okay, I have no idea anymore. Honor your wives. When this letter was written, this would have been like a, a, you know, a bucket of cold water just thrown onto a dude, onto a guy. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Honor, honor my wife? Honor a woman? Well, we don't do that here. We don't do that within our cultural context. Peter's like, I don't care. I don't care. If you're a Christian, you will do this. Why? Because women are deserving of honor as well. Because Jesus actually likes women. And he places them on the same level as guys. Right? We know this in the body of Christ. There's neither Jew nor Gentile, male nor female. What are you saying there? He's like, God's like, you're my kids. And he's like, yeah, husbands, you may be the head of the household, but that doesn't mean you're more important than a woman, okay? There might be more responsibilities thrown onto your shoulders and all that good stuff. That's fine. That's how the Lord has set that up. But what he's commanding, so to speak, for the husbands is to honor their wives. And again, this was so countercultural because in, in this time, in a Roman-led nation, so to speak, the, the marriage norm of the Romans was to have your wife who 
gave birth to your kids, right? Have your side piece. This is the lady that you had fun with on the side. But then you also would have another woman in your life who is more of your, your best bud. And this was allowable then. This was almost expected if you were a Roman. You know, uh, devotion and commitment to one woman was not the norm. Now, there were marriages in Roman times that, that were, you know, completely committed to each other and all that good stuff. But the, the, the social norm of that day was to like, well, yeah, you got her, but she's just there to have babies for you and to cook and clean for you. Then this other one, well, she's for fun. You know, you get to do all the other stuff with Herb. And then, and then yeah, you can have your, you know, your best bud at, you know, whatever. But Peter comes along, he's like, no, you better honor your, your wife. You better honor your wife. You got to give her honor. You need to show her honor. Why? Because she's created in the image of God. Because if your wife, in the assumption of this text, if she's a, if, if she's a Christian, then she's a daughter of the king. And if anything, we as dads of daughters would know, you better not mess with my daughter. You better not mess with my daughter. Well, don't you think that the Lord feels the same way? You better not mess with my girls. And I think we as Christian men need to realize that and live within that reality. That if we, and, and especially if you're thinking down the road of getting married and all that stuff, and, and you're maybe attracted to a female, look, it. She's a believer, man. She, that's, that's his daughter. And any dude who maybe had be interested in any of my daughters, well, there's like, you know, don't mess with my daughters. And I can only go so far with that threat. But God Almighty, don't mess with his daughter. Honor her. Show her respect. Treat her as what? An equal. As a human being. Because again, culturally, women were not on the same level as men back then. They were not. And some cultures had it, you know, they were a little bit better at it than others. But by and large, women were just not shown honor at all. At all. Your opinion didn't matter. What you thought didn't matter. And here's God messing up everything. He's like, hey, husbands, you need to honor your wives. You need to honor your wives. Well, how do we honor our wives? He goes on to explain that for us. Treat your wife with understanding as you live together. Then you're like, whoa, 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 hold on, hold on, because you just asked the impossible, right? I'm um, like, I, wait a minute, live with your wife in an understanding way, right? As your translation may say. I'm like, well, who can understand women, right? God, that's mostly guys are like, what? Like, I don't, I don't, I have no idea what I'm doing, um, Hey, don't worry, guys. Uh, I did a bunch of research this past week when I was in Indianapolis, and there are lots of websites that will help you to understand women better. Unfortunately, there's not many of them are all that good or helpful. As I'm reading through them, I'm like, well, duh. I'm like, no, no, I need good practical stuff. But there are some ways you can live with your wife in an understanding way, okay, in an honorable way. Part of that is give her some of your time and attention, Give her your time and attention. Be sympathetic. Be compassionate. Hope 
you're at all familiar with the book of Job, then you can easily see how the book of 1 Peter ties into Job's experience of suffering. It doesn't seem fair, does it? You might ask, why aren't the unrighteous the ones that experience suffering and hardship? Why are those that want to follow God with all their hearts the ones that face trials? The truth is, it doesn't make sense to anyone who doesn't know God. But by knowing Him, you're willing to endure hard things, trusting that there's good ahead. In 1 Peter 3.15, Peter states, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to anyone who asks you a reason for the hope that's in you, with meekness and fear. So the next time you have an opportunity to share your testimony, make sure you include the fact that yes, you go through trials, but it's God working in and through you that gives you and others hope for the future. You've been listening to Bread for the Broken as we go through the book of 1 Peter. Bread for the Broken is a ministry out of Calvary Galveston in Galveston, Texas. For those of you in the area, we would love to see you this Sunday. We meet every Sunday at 10 in the morning and every Thursday at 7 in the evening. We like to keep faith simple and uncomplicated. So if you're looking for that laid-back atmosphere, you'll be right at home with us. To find out more, head on over to breadforthebroken.com. We're so glad that you decided to spend your day with us. And we look forward to the next edition with you in the book of 1 Peter, here on Bread for the Broken. Let me paint the picture of you.